You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Most gracious, ever-living God, thank you for the gift and the blessing of this day, this opportunity to gather together. Uh, as we are gathered now, we do gather in your name, and as we gather in your name, I pray that you would, uh, that you'd quiet our minds, uh, that you would quiet our hearts, and uh, as, as always, in all sincerity, I pray that um, ultimately not my word, but your living word would go forth, because we know that to be the source of our life, the source of our salvation, uh, the means of our peace. And so, Lord, I pray that your living word would go forth. Uh, through the power of your spirit. And I pray all this in the name of your son, who is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Yeah, welcome everyone. Great to, uh, great to see you. Please uh, continue to take your time as you, as you come in here. I wanna invite today, um, we're, we're looking at, you know, it's funny. Um, we're talking about God the Father today. <laughs> Not that I'll wrap everything up um, uh, in, in, a, in a few minutes, so you can give me as long as you want. And, and obviously one of the things too, is we talk about God the Father, the reality is um, we worship a God who is one in three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so inevitably, if we're talking about the Father, talking about the Son, talking about the Spirit, we're, we're inevitably reflecting on all, of those, uh, on all of those together. And what I'd like to do today is to offer, um, to offer three texts, uh, three biblical texts, uh, to offer three images and to invite you to continue to think about these on your own as well. And so we'll, we'll offer three images, three texts, and invite you to, to read them at your leisure on your own, uh, sit with them, allow them to sit with you. And part of my contention um, uh, from the beginning to the end, part of my contention is from, you know, from start to finish is that is that change um, in our lives, that salvation in our lives is dependent upon the grace and the intervention of God. Uh, it's not something that we produce in ourselves. It's something God graciously brings about in our lives, um, that, that change and that salvation is dependent upon um, the grace and the initiative of, of God. And as I share these three scriptures, as I share these three images, um, we'll share uh, some stories from my own personal experience as well. Let me begin by saying, as we talk about God the Father, I mean, that is a, um, that's, that's a rich image, that's a biblical image, but, uh, but it's also a fraught image um, as well, isn't it? Um, when it comes to uh, family relationships, that can, be a more, that can be a more challenging image, depending on, um, uh, yeah, how one relates to one's father, one's mother, uh, one's siblings. I mean, this this family imagery can be can be challenging. And one of the challenges about uh, and, uh, you know, and can I uh, say uh, I have three children that I've given opportunities for counseling. Um, so as a human father, I, I realize sort of the imperfection of any uh, of any father. Um, and uh, I've even paid for some of their counseling. So um, you know, so so I, I realize to some degree this this imagery breaks down. Uh, and yet, uh, it's an image that that God uses. It's, it's an image the Bible uses, and the fact that we're flawed people, uh, just naming that at the outset, and, and hopefully that won't color too much our, our hearing and receiving what is the nature and the character of God as He reveals Himself to us and as He gives Himself to us as, as our, our Heavenly Father, our Father 
um, who art uh, in heaven. And the first scripture that I'd like to draw from is Genesis 15. And Genesis 15, uh, and I'll read it to you in just a moment. I will just say Genesis 15. You got it, right? Um, I'll actually go ahead and read it to you in just a moment. But it's uh, obviously toward the beginning there. And it's when God makes a covenant with Abram. Uh, when God makes a covenant with Abram. And, and that's, a, that's a big deal. Covenants are a big deal biblically, but particularly God's covenant with Abram uh, is a huge deal. And again, I hope this will set the tone to what it is I want to invite you to think about what is phenomenal good news about the nature and the character of God. And of course, you remember God calls Abram uh, and Sarai from their, uh, from their settled life um, into a life which is, <laughs> which is not settled. And maybe, maybe you feel like that's some of God's work um, in your own life as well. God, you know, God's not easily uh, pinned down, uh, is God. I mean, God certainly sometimes calls us out of what is settled into that which is seemingly unfamiliar. God also wonderfully graciously steps into our chaos uh, to bring peace and calm as well. That's you know, part of the imagery at the beginning of creation is, is the spirit moving I mean, hovering over the midst of the waters. God bringing order um, out of that which was not ordered. God bringing uh, structure and order um, to the chaos, so uh, and ultimately that being a word of peace. But God has called Abram and Sarai out, and God makes a covenant with Abram. And, and let me read it to you, and it, and it sounds a little fantastic. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. Of course, talking about their time uh, in captivity. And it goes on, But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So even in, in all of that, this, this imagery of God as his father uh, talking, about, talking about 400 years, I don't know how encouraging or not that was to Abram initially, uh, God saying what he would uh, accomplish. I mean, you know, uh, imagine if I told you four days, um, you might be, um, we're, we're Amazon prime people. Um, imagine waiting four days, much less 400, 400 years, but one of the things that we see in that as well is, is God is a father who has obviously a, a knowledge and a power and a purpose uh, which is greater than us and, and beyond us. Uh, and actually, I think, that's, uh, I think that's good news because if, if God is not the one in charge, um, who does that make in charge? That's a scary word, you and me. Exactly. So that should be, that should be a disconcerting word. So to say that God actually... Uh, here he's laying out to Abram, look, this is bigger than you, but I'm giving you a window in the fact that I have a plan uh, and that I'm carrying out my good purposes. And you will, and you will be part of that uh, and you will see that and you will experience that, but it's also something which is larger than you also. Uh, God is, is going to bring this about. And then we hear this, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I give this land. 
So I'll, I'll, I'll back up just a little bit. So he has this vision of a covenant made. Abram had been given, you remember Old Testament, covenants would be made and often what would happen is um, animals would be sacrificed and the pieces would be laid um, on either side and it's rather vivid imagery. And of course, uh, aren't you glad you just signed a contract now? Um, by making a covenant, and so the animal would be sacrificed in the blood, and uh, the people would walk through the sacrifice. And so, uh, as you might guess, what is the imagery there? Um, the imagery there is, if I don't keep this covenant, if I don't keep this promise, let this um, happen to me. Kind of, uh, imagery is pretty straightforward. The imagery is pretty clear. It's, it's hard to miss uh, what is being said there. But so that's the imagery of, of a covenant and God is making a covenant with Abraham. Well, here's another thing that uh, won't surprise you. Um, when a covenant was made between two people, one person being of greater power and stature um, than the other, who do you think would typically walk through um, the sacrifice? The one with more power, the one with less power. <laughs> here's the shocker, exactly. Yeah, the one, the one with less authority, the one with less um, power, the one who was, you know, quote, lesser, that person would be the one basically to, to take the brunt, to bear the brunt of that, should that be broken. Basically, it was placed on them. Well, in this vision, which is given um, to Abram, uh, who was the one, uh, and I'll, I'll say it because, uh, uh, who was the one that goes through uh, and guarantees the promise and guarantees the covenant? The father, exactly. Yeah, it's not it's not Abram um, who guarantees it. The promise from the very beginning, the promise of God's grace, the promise um, that God um, would secure his people from the very beginning, that promise is dependent upon the Father and not upon us. Uh, and so this word, this word of grace isn't something that we made up along the way. Um, it's something which exists from the very beginning. So part of that imagery uh, of God as Father is one, uh, yes, who knows beyond us, yes, one who sees beyond us, but uh, the, the imagery of provision. From the very beginning, God the Father gives um, the provision that his purpose and plan of salvation would be carried out. God provides um, that security, the ability to see beyond the way um, that we see. And so basically what, what God said is, um, if I don't bless you with my salvation, that which I'm promising to you, uh, if I don't bless you with that, then uh, may I be uh, cut off uh, and may I die. Uh, and so uh, it's not hard to catch the foreshadowing here, is it? Um, as, as you hear this, uh, God will, of course, in Jesus ultimately um, secure this, that which he promised from the very beginning. The, the means and the methods of our salvation through God's grace is set from the very beginning. Uh, and we hear we have God the Father as a, as a provider um, who provides and makes this available as one who sees beyond us. I shared recently uh, one of the things, it's been a moment of transition and not surprisingly, I've been thinking about my own father um, during this time. He died a couple of years ago um, uh, during, during COVID and um, not, of, not of COVID, but it just happened to be, um, happened to be during, that, during that time. You know, I don't know what whatever time that was, COVID, the last 20 years or whatever it was. I don't kind of, I don't exactly remember what it was. And so I've been thinking about dad and some of the different experiences with dad. And I, I shared this recently with some of the crew. 
the, the things that I remember from uh, back in the day. And, and dad was, uh, was a great dad and a great guy. And he was also a really, um, he was a really flawed guy as well. So just sort of say, you know, dad wasn't um, perfect. He was like um, uh, any father. It's funny. Uh, uh, this is such a minor flaw, but it's funny. One of the things, dad um, worked for Sears. And working for Sears, a large corporation, particularly in that time, we moved a lot. And so typically about every three years, we'd move to a new city. Congratulations, you're doing, an extra, you're doing a great job. Um, y'all are going to Chicago, or y'all are going to Jacksonville, or y'all are going to wherever. And it's funny, my sisters and I left at this. You know, Dad's probably 80 at this point, and we're all sitting around the table um, uh, having dinner. Dad was, again, a great guy, wonderful guy, um, but again, flawed. And it's funny, we're sitting around the table, and Dad said, you know, we moved all the time, and it never bothered y'all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just preface all this to say, great guy, flawed guy, like the like like the rest of us. And I just, I just laughed. I thought that's great. I'm like, you're you're right, Dad. Didn't bother us. Didn't bother us a bit. God love you. Um, but but I remember I went away. Uh, I went away to the Citadel, um, and someone asked me actually. Uh, so I went away to the Citadel, uh, and it was in in many ways my my trying to fix myself. Um, and of course. Um, you know how that was destined for failure. But uh, so I went away and I was going to straighten my life out. This was going to repay mom and dad after putting them through hell. Um, I was going to do something that was going to make them proud, straighten myself out, all that kind of good stuff. Um, I went away to the Citadel. Um, everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Paula, who's now my wife, um, uh, my girlfriend was in school in North Carolina. I mean, you know, that's bad enough. Uh, I broke my foot. I had to sit out the majority of the soccer season. Actually, the only thing I looked forward to. So I had to sit out the soccer season. My paternal grandfather, with whom I was incredibly close, um, he died. Um, he died that uh, that first semester there. And uh, the Citadel is designed. Um, it's designed for misery. Um, and so, and they're. It's it's it's, it's honed. Um, it's very effective. Um, they've, you know, they, they've worked on it um, for over uh, 150 years. And so they're good at it. Um, they're really very good at this. Um, and so it was just awful. And not surprisingly, I decided um, that I'd made yet another mistake. And so I was going to straighten this out. And I, for the first semester, I mean, I was as blue as a guy can be. And I, as you might imagine, I practiced my speech for when I came home for Thanksgiving you know, Dad, this was a great learning experience, um, and I'm grateful for this experience, and it's really going to benefit me at my next college. Um, so, or it's like, I didn't care. I mean, seriously, I was like, I don't care. I'll go to work. Like, I, 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 I'll do any, it was that bad. I'll go to work. Um, I'll do anything uh, if I can get out of here. And so I practiced this speech for the entirety of the first semester, um, as opposed to studying for my classes. Uh, and and I uh, went to we were uh, uh, we were sitting there in the parking lot of the Big Star grocery store. I don't know if Big Stars are even still around, but it was the Big Star uh, on Shambly Dunwoody Road. And um, we were there in the Big Star parking lot. And I and I began to um, unfurl um, this well-honed um, speech to my father. Uh, and um, you know what he said to me? No. <laughs> like I was just I'm unfolding this and I'm beginning to tell him and like he, he, he said no no um, 
no, you made a commitment, um, and you need to honor that. And say, yeah, we can talk at the end of the year. Um, you know, at the end of the year, we can talk about this. Um, and yeah, we'll explore options then, but no, in the moment, no. Yeah, you made a commitment. You need to honor that commitment. And uh, yeah, um, let's, let's go get the groceries. Um, and so that was, that was this moment. And as I shared last week, um, uh, in that moment, I died. Uh, like I, like I just, uh, just like I, there's no hope for a future. Um, how am I going to make it? And I, I share that with you. Again, <clears throat> great dad, flawed dad, but but he had an ability to see. Um, he had a, an ability to see beyond me. Um, he, he realized he's like, no, this is something that you, this is this is tough. Um, this is difficult, but this is one of those things in life that's shaping you, that's that's fashioning you, that will that will benefit you. You know, again, there's a, there's an earthly father who had a, a he had an understanding beyond mine. Um, he had a perspective that was beyond mine. He knew something was going on, shaping and fashioning and beneficial beyond just um, the moment. And so that's part of the imagery of, of God as a heavenly father. And, uh, and it leads into the next passage that I'm going to share with you, because yes, my dad saw beyond um, the moment in a way that I, that obviously I couldn't. You know, it's not even uh, when we're 18. I mean, obviously all of us get in moments in our lives now as adults where we're in the moment and it's too much for us. Uh, and we need someone, whether that be friend, whether that be family member, ultimately God. We need people to come alongside us and be with us in those moments. Because I mean, again, th those still come our way when it's too much for us. We need people who love us and have a faith and a perspective beyond the moment in which we, we find ourselves. That's part of the gift of Christian community, uh, is the ability um, to walk with one another, to come alongside one another, to give perspective to one another. But that, that's part of the image of God from the very beginning in Genesis as a provider, as the one who provides the means of um, our salvation and security in a way that we cannot provide it for ourselves. So from the very beginning, God's setting in motion um, this reality. And the next uh, portion that I'm going to read to you is um, uh, uh, just, gosh, one of my all-time favorites. And so Genesis 15, now to Hosea 11. And uh, I brought in with me, um, I don't know if anybody knows this guy, Derek Kidner um, is, his, is his name. And um, really, really love his, uh, love his commentary. So um, just recommend, uh, recommend Derek Kidner to you. Uh, it's one of those, um, uh, I, I'm envious uh, of how much he can say in a short space. Um, and um, so y'all can pray, maybe in some day I could be a fraction uh, like Derek Kidner and say incredibly insightful things um, in an economy of words. Uh, but Kidner has the ability to do that. But Hosea 11 <coughs> has this beautiful image um, of uh, Hosea 11 gives us this image of God as a as a father. That you could say, uh, you could say God um, as a as a parent as well. Um, and if you remember the, the the prophecy of Hosea, Hosea basically his life and ministry is an acted parable. Uh, and if you remember, Hosea is is given this task to go um, marry a wife who will be unfaithful to you. <laughs> How about that for your guidelines? Uh, there, you know, go and, and marry someone who will not be, um, who will not be faithful to you. And the acted parable is, uh, that's the people of Israel and God. You know, again and again and again, they are, um, they are unfaithful. Um, regardless of, of God's love and grace and care for them, they, they, they're, they're not faithful. 
uh, and Hosea 11. And Hosea is a prophet, uh, and like prophets, um, he is punching people in the face um, out of love. Uh, but he's, you know, he's 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 talking like a prophet, um, and he and he comes he comes out swinging um, in his prophecy. And then in Hosea 11, these words are given, which he speaks to the people, uh, and and listen. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, but doesn't that just sound like a parent and a child? <laughs> the more I called, the more they went away. Don't do that. <laughs> Stop. Um, that's going to hurt. Um, the, more, the more I called them, uh, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to feed them. I'll pause there. And in that, I often, um, I'm holding up so far, I often, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a sucker to tear up anyway, but I often tear up when I read this. I mean, this, this beautiful imagery of God as a father, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And, and, and here in that too, um, what's being expressed isn't, isn't, isn't an emo, it's, it's not unemotional. Because again, I mentioned, you know, dad in that moment with me in the Citadel, he had a perspective beyond mine. He guided me in a way which was not um, initially well received um, by me. But as, but as dad gave that guidance, I, I know full well that he agonized over it. Um, that that was, that was the right word to speak to me, but I have no doubt that that was a painful word um, for, for dad to speak to me. It, it, that, it came from love, and it came from a love which, which hurt him. Uh, he hurt for me uh, in the midst of that, I know, because they would visit often, thanks be to God, and maybe I'd get let out um, to see them briefly, but they would, they, would, they would come, but it was a word he gave, which a word which caused him pain. But here's this image uh, of God um, who loves not just emotionally, but, but loves uh, in a way which is, um, which is committed, which is more than emotional. It's more than emotional. When Israel was a child, I loved him. It's a stated, settled fact. It's not, I love them when. It's not, I love them if, because we hear what they're doing. The more I called them, the more, the more they went away. I was the one uh, who bent down and took them by the hands and taught them how to walk. Uh, I was the one um, that bound them with cords of loving kindness. Uh, I did all these things and this is how they responded. And so it's a, it's a settled word. It's a decisive love um, for them. And I want to read just a portion here from Kidner's commentary on this. This chapter is one of the boldest in the Old Testament, indeed in the whole Bible, in exposing to us the mind and heart of God in human terms. We are always in danger of thinking of divine majesty in terms which we have learned from earthly potentates, the, king of the, gent the kings of the Gentiles, whom the Lord summed up in Luke 22, 25 through 27, in contrast to himself. Even when we speak of God as Father, we may hesitate in case we read too much into the word. I'm going to go back again. I'm going to read this. Um, Y'all are quicker than me, but I'm going to read this slow. I want, to read this, um, uh, I want to read this again. Even when we speak of God as Father, we may hesitate in case we read too much into the word, but our chief danger 
is in reading too little from it. So he says the danger is not reading too much into the word. The danger is actually reading too little um, into that word. The danger is reading too little from it, drawing our ideas either from an earthly father's indulgence, caring too little for his children's training, or from his self-indulgence, taking the covenant path, convenient path, excuse me, of domestic tyrant. And so he says, God loves uh, in neither way. And he goes on and he says this, here by contrast, we're made to see this title in terms of accepted cost and anguish. A father who loves us uh, with the accepted cost uh, and anguish. And, and any of us, um, if, if, if you have a child, you know that to have a child is to some degree to, to accept the cost and anguish. Uh, and not just, not just earlier, it goes, you know, it, it, it goes on. As you know, your, your worries and your prayers change every time. They don't end, um, they, they change. In some ways they feel more dramatic um, not less dramatic as, as time goes on. Here, by contrast, we're made to see this title in terms of accepted cost and anguish. God as a father rebuffed, torn between agonizing alternatives, may seem too human altogether. But this is the price of bringing home to us the fact that divine love is more, not less ardent and vulnerable than our own. For as verse 9 will remind us, correcting our inverted values, I am God and not man. Uh, once more, as in chapter 3, it is he, not we, who sets the pace and who stays the course against every discouragement and provocation that ingratitude can offer. When Israel is a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. And the more they went away, the more I called to them. But I was the one, he said, I led them with corns of kindness, with the bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to feed them. And then he goes on and, and he says this, and, and part of the reality is um, God's grace uh, and his mercy and his salvation went out, uh, but there's also the reality of, yeah, the, the, the repercussion of our sins in our lives. Uh, and he talks about what is going to fall to the people in their rebellion. They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king because they have refused to return to me. They're going to bounce back and forth between Assyria and Babylon. And uh, it's, you know, it's, it's a lose-lose situation. The sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from me. And though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. So there's this moment of loving kindness, this decided love, not an emotional love, a decided love of God the Father who will love his children from the very beginning, the one who taught us to walk. And then there's the moment of uh, these are the challenges uh, and the repercussions of the moment. But it doesn't stop there. And in verse 8, hear this. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I give you up? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboe? My heart recoils within me. Listen to this. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. For I am God and... Uh, and, and not a man, the God who does feel anguish, does um, feel pain as, as a parent does, and, and yet a God who is beyond that as well, who says, you know what, they've provoked me, 
and provoked me and provoked me. Again, has anyone ever experienced that? Uh, has anyone ever been the source of that to their own parents, provoking them and provoking them uh, and provoking them? And of course, as, as human parents, typically at some point we snap, right? Um, at some point we snap and when we snap, we look like a fool, uh, but we snap all the same. Uh, and yet uh, that, is not the, uh, that, he, that is not what is shown um, to us, this imagery. So again, in the Old Testament, and now I'm looking, I'm gonna say this um, more quickly. We'll get to this more quickly than it needs to be, uh, but I'm just looking at our, uh, at our time now. So from Genesis to um, Hosea, uh, and I invite us now uh, to look at Luke 15. And if you remember Luke 15, for those, uh, for those of you at 7.30, which was none of you, um, this, that was our text um, this morning at 7.30. For those of you that are going to 11, that's our text um, at 11 o'clock. Um, and uh, the way that it's broken up, if you remember, um, in many ways, in my estimation, one of the high watermarks of the Bible, Jesus tells, Luke records Jesus telling three stories in Luke 15, and they, and they escalate in their intensity. Uh, and it is in response to the scribes and the Pharisees. They are grumbling as Jesus welcomes tax collectors and sinners. Um, and that grumbling is a resonant word, uh, of course, from the people of Israel back in the day as they grumbled as God led them um, out of their slavery and into the wilderness. And in response to the scribes and the Pharisees, Jesus is actually, in my estimation, you can agree or disagree with me on this one, isn't incredibly gracious and patient uh, because in response to the critique of the scribes and the Pharisees, in response to their judgment, Jesus tells these three stories. Uh, and, and, and in a loving, gracious way, in many ways, these, these three stories trap uh, the scribes and the Pharisees, but not just them, it, they, they, they trap all of us. Lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. Uh, a man has a hundred sheep, one wanders off, he goes and he finds the sheep and puts it on his shoulders, brings it back and says, rejoice with me um, for this sheep that was lost is found. A woman has 10 coins, she loses one. She turns the house upside down, um, tossing everything until she finds that one coin that had been lost. So we go from 1%, one out of a hundred um, to 10%, um, one out of 10. Uh, as she turns the house upside down to find the coin, she finds it this dead inanimate object uh, and yet of tremendous value and says, rejoice with me, the coin that was lost is found. And then Jesus, of course, tells the story that we refer to as the prodigal son. And, and some uh, people have commented on it as well of the story of the prodigal father uh, and that the father acts in ways which are um, scandalous. And you remember you go from, again, 1% to 10% to arguably you could say 50% or 100% because of course, the one son, you know the story. Dad, I can't wait for you to die. Go ahead and give me the inheritance now. Um, I, I want the money, not you. Um, and, he, and he wanders off. Uh, and of course, uh, he runs out and says, you know, uh, at least uh, the people that work for dad have three meals a day. So I'm going to go back and say, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired hands. He practices his speech. The older brother stays there, of course. Um, the older brother stays. But you could argue that even though he is close in proximity, he's not close relationally because, of course, as the younger son returns home, the, the father is, um, again, he is, um, the father is entirely inappropriate. Um, he does not wait for the son to finish uh, his uh, excuse uh, and his story. 
The dad runs um, to the son. Uh, he is looking, he's waiting, he's watching, he runs to the son, and not only does he run to the son, but he embraces him and he throws a party and he puts a robe on him and a ring for his finger. Uh, and of course, we hear that the older brother, understandably, is, um, well, I'm just trying to think of the word. Um, uh, yeah, exactly. That's what, that's what was coming to me. I'm like, He's angry. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, he's, he's furious with the father. Uh, he's, he's furious at the grace and the mercy of the father. He's furious in this mode of the character of the father. What kind of father um, accepts this kind of behavior? What kind of father doesn't punish this kind of behavior? And obviously part of the whole, uh, the, part of the whole punchline for the scribes and the Pharisees, uh, here's your 11 o'clock sermon preview, um, for the tax collectors and the sinners, um, is that none of us deserve it. Not... Not, I know you're not real shocked to hear me say that, um, but at the end of the day, we're all dead in the water without the gracious intervention of God. Uh, we're, we're all, every, every last one of us is dead in the water. I mean, here's the reality. Um, uh, whether one is a tax collector or a sinner or a scribe or a Pharisee, none of us have the means. It, it takes something from outside of ourselves. And, the, and the, of course, the older son is, is furious um, at the response of the father, and, and Jesus leaves the story open because we don't hear um, we don't hear uh, the response of the older son ultimately but here's and then we'll wrap up with this now uh, um, Eugene Peterson uh, comments on this and, I, and I, a, a really interesting commentary and I invite this I leave this with you to reflect on the way that God works the way that God as a father works in a way which is a long game uh, which is, which is a long game. And obviously there are moments when we read about it in the Bible. I mean, there, and we've had moments ourselves when it just, in an instant, something happens, something changes, uh, a, a revelation, a repenting, a turning um, on our part, God's mercy coming in in a way which just startles us. Uh, and it's immediate uh, and powerful. Um, but very often in life, the way that God the Father and the way that God's grace works is the long game. Uh, it works uh, in the long game. Uh, and uh, Peterson writes this, and he talks about uh, God the Father in some ways um, uh, limiting, uh, limiting himself in order to win us, limiting himself in order to win all of us. And, and the word which is used is that the Father is scandalous not only in the way that he forgives the younger son, he's scandalous in the way that he goes out um, to the pouting son. Um, and comes along beside him. But the word is, yeah, he, he comes along beside him. So rather than coming in and grabbing him by headlock, he comes alongside him. Uh, he doesn't grab him by the collar, uh, but he comes along beside him and he, and, he, and he appeals to him. He makes an appeal. Um, this having all the power, um, but using it lightly. Um, and hear what Peterson has to say. Apparently, we don't go looking for a lost son or person in the same way that we look for an animal or a coin. And I say this because again, all of us in some ways are, are, are lost and found and, and no doubt all of us have people in our lives that, that are lost and we long for. Something other than aggressive energy is required, something no less energetic yet passive, passive energy. There are situations in which our pass, passivities, that's a tough one, which our passivities take precedence over our activities. Waiting provides the time and space for others to get in on salvation. Waiting calls a time out 
puts us on the sidelines for a while so that we don't interfere with essential kingdom of God operations that we don't even know are going on. Not doing involves a means of detaching my ego, my still immature um, understanding of the way God works comprehensively, but without forcing his way, without coercion. The restraint of passivity allows for the quiet, mostly invisible complexities and intricacies of the characteristic of the Holy Spirit as he does his work in us, in the church, and in the world for whom Christ died. Renunciation, the piercing virtue, is Emily Dickinson's phrase for it. It couldn't have been easy for the father to not go out looking for a son the way the shepherd looked for a sheep and the woman looked for her coin. Not all sons and daughters and friends and unsaved can be found by calling out a search and rescue team. Uh, discernment is required. At the end, I'll say this, but we see God's desire for the salvation of the younger son. We see it for the older son and his recognition of the different ways the father works in order that they might be drawn um, to him. So I'm going to leave us there today and let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do reveal yourself to us as a father and you provide the means um, of our salvation from the very beginning. That you um, deal with us, that you have the discernment um, when we need the knock uh, and when we need to be picked up. And I pray, Lord, for all of us gathered here that you would wonderfully graciously work in each of our lives in just the right way. And all this I ask and offer in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.